Good morning, wherever you are, and welcome to St. Michael's in the Morning, a podcast series encompassing everything from sermons and services to special audio presentations, brought to you by St. Michael's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas. For more information or to make a donation to St. Michael's, please visit www.st-michaels.org. Welcome, everybody. I'm John Newton here. This is podcast episode 12 of Calm Words for Anxious Hearts. And I thought it'd be fun to mix things up for this episode, to do things a little bit differently, and to have a conversation with someone. And so I'm here in the studio with Luis Rivas. And by that, I mean we're both at um, home recording this via Zoom because we're doing our best to practice social distancing. So, hello, Luis. Hi, John. It's good to be here. Thank you. Um, It is good to have you here voluntarily, not because I'm making you be here as a paid employee. (laughs) Thank you for having a conversation with me. Um, Luis is a good friend and our student minister and also has a sharp theological mind. And so I wanted to have a conversation with him, not only because I enjoy speaking with him, but also um, the format of these podcasts have been for me to write a reflection and to read that and for every word to be well crafted and that's fine but a lot of spontaneity is lost whenever you do it that way and so I thought it'd be fun just to have a conversation with Luis and if you don't know Luis he's the one responsible for our online streaming on Sunday he's the one who kind of produces these podcasts so if you enjoy them please reach out to Luis and tell him thank you um We really owe so much to him. Um, Also, Luis has big news in his personal life. Luis is getting married this week. Luis, how do you feel about that? Are you excited? I'm very excited. um, I'm looking forward to starting our marriage and starting our life together. Um, You know, there's a little bit of, uh, well, and by a little bit, I mean a fair amount of grief because of the the ways that our wedding is going to look a lot different from what we envisioned it just a few months ago. Um, you know, as of right now, it's just going to be uh, my fiance and I and John officiating and it will be streamed to our friends and family. Um, so, you know, like there's, there's some lo- sense of loss in, in all the big changes that happened uh, alongside all the, changes by the state and by the diocese uh, to observe caution for the coronavirus. Um, But at the end of the day, you know, I've been telling people I'm just excited to be married because at the end of the day, that's what the most important part of it was. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you sharing all that. And certainly the excitement of getting married is really appropriate, but I'm glad that you're naming that there is grief associated with this moment. Um, just to have the three of us there for your wedding, not having your wedding party or your family or all your guests. And, you know, grief is something that all of us are experiencing right now. Um, if you're listening, you have some measure of grief in your life, whether that grief is acute, you know, the loss of a loved one, the loss of a job, the loss of plans you were excited about. Um, But there's also such a thing as ambiguous grief. And ambiguous grief is what happens when so many different small things shift suddenly. 
And those million small things add up to a lot of sadness and loss. Um, and for me, it just hits me. I had a moment about a week ago, I was at HEB um, waiting in line to get in, um, you know, wearing my mask um, six feet apart from everyone. And I just was overcome with the oddness of it all, of the grief of um, not being able just to walk in inside the grocery store and um, to do so without fear of infection um, and just watching everyone kind of sit there helpless in their mask as the staff of HEB graciously let us in kind of one by one. I just sense the sadness and the powerlessness of that moment. It was, it was a small thing, but the grief of the moment was real. Um, Luis, what's your experience with that, Ben? Uh you know, I've had a, a lot of small ones, uh, but the one that that pops out right now was also at HEB. Um, I guess, you know, when the only travel we're allowed to do is to the grocery store, it's not surprising that the stories are going to be all happening at grocery stores. Uh, but yeah, I was at HEB shopping for groceries and I saw a homeless man wearing a plastic bag as a, as a face covering. And a manager walked up to him and told him that the plastic mask was not compliant with the face covering uh, regulations and that he was going to have to to leave. And the man was like, oh, come on, I, I just want to buy a few things. And the manager was like, OK, we need to take you to the checkout right now. Yeah. Um, you know, grab what you need. And he grabbed, you know, like a case of beer and a few snacks. And then the manager escorted him to check out and. That that was just a really sad moment, you know, like it yeah. made me think about how this crisis is really hitting some people harder than it's even hitting me. Yeah. And and that's that's so real. Um, you know, someone who's written a lot about grief um, is someone I'm really fond of, Brene Brown. And, you know, she says that grief has three components. Um, and it's I've, I've gone to that recently because it helps ground me in what I'm feeling and experiencing at the moment. And it enables me to kind of empathize with some of our parishioners and the experiences they share. Um, so the three components are loss, longing, and feeling lost. So first, loss. You know, grief happens when something we knew or something we counted on or believed in um, is gone. And this leaves us with a hole that we're not really sure what to do with. We don't have a school to take our kids to anymore. We've lost that. Um, we can't see our parents, um, we can't leave our home, we can't really plan for the future with any certainty for the next few months, we can't have a wedding with more than three people, you know, these are just a few of the losses that we're feeling at the moment. But of course, what makes loss difficult is the longing, that conscious or unconscious yearning for wholeness, right? We want to regain or touch whatever it is that we've lost, something that we often um, took for granted before we lost it. And we want things to go back to normal. Uh, and then there's just feeling lost, right? There's a new environment, a new identity, um, a new normal. Everyone talks about the new normal. Uh, and we're lost for a bit, disoriented as we try to navigate whatever the new environment is, um, right? Because we all knew who we were pre-COVID. So who are we now? Um, you know, at St. Michael's, I knew exactly who I was as rector on March the 1st, or at least I thought I did, right? We were about to launch a capital campaign study group. The bishop was coming to confirm 38 people. Um, we were growing in numbers as a staff with 
respect to our outreach initiatives. I could go visit people in the hospital and hold their hands and anoint them with oil. Um, all this um, was my former reality. And so here I am, I'm still the rector of this great church, but the balance or the homeostasis we had pre-corona is gone and I have to find a new one and we all have to find a new one. And, you know, um, that's not bad. Uh, it's actually how all growth and change happens in our life. But when so much loss happens so quickly, uh, it's hard. It's not bad, but it's hard. And I know that in some sense, we're all feeling that lostness at the moment. Not complete lostness, but just a disorientation as the ground we used to stand on has shifted so very quickly. Yeah, that that really resonates uh, with me. I, uh, in my experience, you know, it's things are changing in, in, at a pace where, like, just when you're beginning to make peace with the most recent batch of changes, you get a new set of of things that are changing. Um, so, John, as as a rector, you know, as a priest, uh, where do you see where do you say God is in all of this? You know, I have my ideas, but I would love to hear yours. Yeah, that's a really important question. And that's really the question that I think the church uh, is called to answer at this moment, not just with uh, our words, but with how we show up for the community. But, you know, um, the two words I'd give us to answer that question are with us. Where's God? God is with us. Um, I've said this before in a sermon, but the most important word in the Bible is the word with. Um, what does the angel say to Mary when the Lord is born? They shall name him Emmanuel, meaning God is with us. Uh, and part of God's withness, I think, is a deep intimacy with what we are feeling, a deep solidarity with the humans created in God's image. Um, I love the prophet Isaiah, who spoke of the Messiah's arrival and Chapter 53, verse 3, Isaiah says that he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows acquainted with the deepest grief. And uh, so part of what it means for God to be with us is to say that God is acquainted with the deepest grief, that God knows. Uh, um, or consider what the author of Hebrews says in chapter 4, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are yet without sin. He then says, let us boldly approach the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find help in our time of need. And so knowing that God is with us, knowing that we've got this great high priest in Jesus who can empathize with every weakness and every struggle, I think in a sense, our work as a church is to boldly approach the throne of grace and together to look for help in our time of need. And we do that knowing that Jesus knows. Jesus knows perhaps more intimately than we do what this moment is like. And so where is God? God is with us in this moment. Yeah, that's really good. I definitely, you know, connect with the spiritual reality of God being with us. Uh, just in the time that I spend in my own devotion and prayer. But, you know, I also wonder, like, you know, part of our, our Christian vocation is always tied to action. 
And uh, I struggle to think of ways that like we can help, you know, the ways that we typically think about like volunteering um, are not really an option right now. So what are, what are some ways that people who want to help and, and show the love of Christ in that way can do so? Yeah, it's such a good question. Um, I mean, I get so many offers from our parishioners so gracious and eager to help asking, what can we do? Is there anything that we can do? And it is such an interesting question at a moment when love and frankly, obeying the law, when love and law mean keeping our distance from other people, um, how is it that we still be, you know, Jesus with skin to them? Um, I've thought about this, and I think the answer to the whole what can we do question is a little bit of a paradox, or at least it's a, it's a, a question that, if we're honest, has two sides to it. And those two sides um, sound like a contradiction, but um, one, one side is being honest that there's nothing we can do. And the other side of that is to say, of course, there is something we can do. <laughs> um, and so first, for those listening, I, I think that the first side of the paradox is just to name that often um, courage means accepting the limitations of the moment, which means that we cannot do as much as we want right now. This is an unprecedented time, and we don't have all the answers, and we don't have all the resources uh, in order to be as useful as we'd like. And I think this is a wonderful time to focus not primarily on action, but on being. Um, we hate that God tells us to wait. We hate that God tells us to sit still. If you're like me, someone addicted to motion, uh, being asked to wait and sit still sounds like a death sentence. But sometimes in the spiritual life, that's what's called for. Uh, and that's okay. As I like to remind people, it is our being and our presence that change the world not primarily our actions. And I say that because all action flows from our being and from our presence. Jesus once said, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. And so I think the question everyone's asking is, well, what kind of fruit does the world need right now? But the question to ask is rather, what sort of tree do we need to become to bear the right fruit when this all ends. Um, because actions always flow from presence. Fruit always comes from the quality of the tree. And so in this time of sheltering in place, when the truth is there's not a whole lot we can do, um, spending time with God, being intimate with our experience, asking the Lord to transform our heart is more than enough. But of course, um, that's only one side of the paradox. The other side of the paradox is, Luis, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, faith without works is dead. That's what it says in the book of James. And so the other side of the paradox is, well, of course, there's something you can do. You know, Mother Teresa once said, you can't do great things. You can only do small things with great love. And obviously, there are so many small things you can do right now with great love that will definitely add up. I was jogging the other day in my neighborhood, and I saw a woman who had a stand set up with some paper towels and some toilet paper and some masks she had made. And she had masks on and a glove. And Basically, it was a come pick up what you need stand. And she even had a sign that said, whatever you need, I'll deliver it. Um, you know, she 
asked herself the question, what can I do? And that was her answer. Now, you might not be able to do that, but um, you can donate money. You can call 10 friends today and tell them that they're loved and ask them how you can pray for them. Um, you can go out of your way to do something generous and kind for the people who you do interact with on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, you know, you can even put your phone down for 20 minutes to be fully present to your family, to your kids. Um, before we get a plan to save the world, let's just try putting our phone down for a bit and breathing and being present to the people in our life. These might not sound like big things. They're very small acts. But of course, is the kingdom of God anything else than small acts done with great love? In fact, Jesus once said this. He asked, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what should I compare it? He then said, it's like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in a garden. It grew and became a tree and the birds of the year made nests and its branches. Whatever mustard seed you can offer might not feel like much, but whenever God adds God's spirit and mixes it in with all the other small acts done with great love, it actually becomes a great tree that makes a pretty big difference. So I'm pretty confident that if you think of kind of your sphere of influence and you don't think too big, there's a small act with great love that you can offer to our world right now. That's good. Um, and I think that that is definitely a real uh, struggle to break out of the mentality that to do something meaningful, it has to be big. I think you're right that uh, small acts done with great love are the way to go uh, during this pandemic because most of us really don't have access or ability to do anything too big when it's a problem that's so large and systemic. Um, is there any other advice that you would want the people listening to hear? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to say trust God. I think trusting God's a, a great idea, but um, that's too vague. And I think people are looking for something concrete at this moment. And so if I were to offer something concrete, a practical way that we can trust God during this time, I think the first thing I want people to do is to practice self-care. Does playing hours of Animal Crossing and binge watching Tiger King count as animal care? As, a, <laughs> as animal care? As self-care? Um, so that would be self-comfort. Uh, and I don't want to pit self-care and self-comfort against each, uh, each other. I certainly have things that comfort me, and Netflix is one of those. Um, so it could be self-care. Um, it could also you know, be distracting yourself. Um, it, it just depends on who you are. Um, so self-comfort is good, but self-care is a little different. You know, for me, self-care, it means, first of all, self-compassion. Self-care and self-compassion is whenever we talk to ourselves the way we would talk to a friend, you know, assuming you like that friend. And so monitor your self-talk. Are you being hard on yourself? Are you giving yourself the grace that you know the world needs right now, because if we don't give it to ourselves, um, we're not going to give it to other people. Um, I'll, I also think self-care means knowing that who we are right now is enough. Uh, you know, I want people to know you don't have to be more productive than you've ever been in your life right now. Um, it is okay if we cannot do everything we're used to doing and we can't accomplish as much as we did before this happened. You know, this is a pandemic. And self-care means seeing that and 
you know, limiting our actions to what we can handle because we have a lot more stress to handle. And, you know, to, to have the courage to say that who I am and what I'm doing now is enough and that I'm enough. I also think self-care means um, finding empathetic friends. Empathy is really important. And, you know, Luis, I go back to what you said about the homeless guy at HEB with the plastic bag he was using as a mask um, and that people have it a lot worse than we do. And if you're listening to this podcast, I think by definition, that means that there are people out there who have it worse than you do. But I think it's also important to remember that empathy is not a finite resource, right? It's not like there's a pizza with eight slices and there's 14 people. So six people need to go without the slice of pizza. Um, And so in a sense, it really doesn't matter if people have it worse than you do. Um, The idea that your pain is not worth being empathized with is kind of a crazy idea rooted in scarcity. Um, but as Christians, we know there's plenty of empathy and withness to go around. And so my hope is that if you're listening, you can find someone in your life who can mirror back to you that this is actually really tough um, because that's what grace is. It's a radical being with. And so find someone who can be with you in this moment and remind you that who you are and what you're doing is enough and that this really is a challenging time. Uh, And then finally, I think there's a physical component to self-care, you know, exercise if you can, sleep eight hours, eat relatively well. Um, Self-comfort is okay. Uh, I I practice self-comfort. There's food that I like to eat that makes me feel better, shows I like to watch. But I also know that time away from screens um, and time kind of walking on a good day, just kind of getting outdoors, things like that are really important to my self-care. Well, thanks for that, John. Um, you know, I definitely try to keep those two in balance. I have days where, you know, I de- decide that I'm going to exercise and cook a nice homemade meal and uh, go to bed at a reasonable, reasonable time. And then there's days where, like I said, I play eight straight hours of Animal Crossing and um, binge watch a TV show on Netflix. So, you know, it's a learning curve, I think. <laughs> Um, well, absolutely. And the, the exact opposite of self-care would be to beat yourself up for not being good at self-care, right? That would be to miss the point. So <laughs> self-kindness when we can't practice self-care is important. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think that one one last question I want to ask is that it's starting to look like there is not going to be like a hard end date for the social distancing and the and, and all these preventative measures, it seems like it's going to be a lot more ambiguous than that. So how, how will that impact getting back into St. Michael's community in the long run? Yeah, when I think of St. Michael's in the long run, I'm so hopeful. We will emerge from this a much stronger community. And, you know, I'm not naive. I know that things will be different for a while and we're not going to snap our fingers and go back immediately to what we had at the beginning of March. But um, I do know that we're going to use this time um, for at least kind of two things. First is we are going to connect and we are going to care for one another as best we can. And I'm so committed to that as um, the rector of this church. I'm inspired by the ways I see that happening already. Um, Minerva is overseeing a team of 22 people who 
make sure that our 350 plus families get a phone call every two weeks. And, you know, that's just one of many examples I could offer of the mutual care I see happening in our community that is really making us stronger. Um, but second, as a church, we're going to use this time to reacquaint ourselves with the mission of God. There will be a great gift for us embedded in this experience. We will emerge from this more connected to each other. We'll emerge with a greater heart to serve our community, with a greater appreciation for the gift of being the church. I mean, my God, what a gift it is to be part of a community that believes in the God who even now is at work to save and heal the entire world. And so to answer your question, Louise, St. Michael's Episcopal Church is going to emerge from COVID-19 just fine. Um, it certainly feels like a fire right now, but this is a fire that God will use to burn away our ingratitude, our complacency, um, the things that maybe we took for granted, so that nothing but the gold of generosity and joy and a desire to be faithful to God remains. If there was one word that you wanted people to meditate on during the, uh, that process and during this time, what would it be? Uh, if you listen to my sermons, um, this one word should not be a surprise, grace. From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Um, from beginning to end, our life, our faith, this time, our God, our church, is all about grace. And if we emerge from this time together deeply aware of that truth, then my prayers for myself and for this community will have been answered.